Well, good morning. Good to see you today. How are you doing? Everybody good? You know, when we went to the first service this morning, I realized why we don't have an 8 a.m. service. Because everyone, when they started coming, it was like zombie apocalypse. Like they're dragging, like, going, I don't know if I'm going to make this or not. Well, let's just jump into it because uh, I've got a lot to say, and hopefully it's going to meet your heart and your ears in the way that God intends it. I love miracles, and miracles come in different shapes and sizes, don't they? I want to tell you about a couple of miracles that took place last week that are so powerful that uh, they really amazed me at uh, what was said. So I, uh, something kind of shifted in this service uh, last week, if you were here, during the last ser- song, and then it just kind of, the momentum just kept building and building. And so I walk out into the, the lobby there just to kind of hang out with everybody, and all of a sudden this gal came running up to me, and she said, I've got to tell you about the miracle that happened today. And she pointed to her grandfather, who was seated over on a chair. She said, he understands zero English, doesn't speak any English at all. And during the last song, he began to hear the song and then the message it followed in Spanish. Now, let me tell you, it's really interesting because when you read about Pentecost, one of the things that you hear when you read it is that they spoke, they heard the language, they heard their own dialect from their native home. So they heard the gospel, and so was, were the apostles, were they speaking in a foreign language, or were the listeners hearing? And that, that has been kind of one of those things that, that theologians talk about a lot. But one thing we do know, the gospel clearly got communicated on the day of Pentecost in everyone's own language. And we know that the same thing happened here last week. Well, I was so excited to tell somebody about it that this family came walking by, and, uh, and they just said, Pastor, we love this church. We're, you know, we just, this is our home, and they're just kind of talking. I think they had two or three little kids there with them. And so as we we were talking, I wanted to tell somebody about what I just told you, because I'm excited. It's like show and tell, right? Supernatural show and tell. And so I'm telling them this story, and I'm looking at them, and, uh, and she speaks to her husband, and I think it's Spanish. It's, you know, this is how, what a great linguist I am. It was actually Egyptian. And so uh, anyway, but I think it's Spanish, so I start speaking in Spanish, to her, and she looks at me like I'm crazy, and you're probably here today, and God bless you, and uh, looks at me like I'm crazy, and I was. When you speak Spanish to an Egyptian person, that just doesn't work. Okay. And so um, the husband looked at me a little bewildered, and he said, well, that's Egyptian. And I go, oh, okay, well, it's still a cool story, right? And then she says something else to her husband. He says back to me, he says, every week, he said, my wife doesn't understand that much English, um, but every week she understands it, and she can understand it, even though she understands e- Egyptian and English, and not English, and, uh, and she hears the messages every week. And, I, and when I hear that, when you see it, they're kind of bookend stories that happen there, you go, that's a really cool miracle, amen? You see, our God is a mysterious God. He's a God that will not be confined by your presuppositions, by your idea of who God is or what God is like. He's going to break out of every conceivable box that you create for him so that you know that you're not in control, but he is. 
God comes into our life not to take sides, but to take over. He comes into our life to minister to us in powerful ways, and sometimes he has to disrupt our religious heritages in order to do that. He shakes the very foundations of what we think about God so that he can reveal who God really is. I am the Lord, that is my name, I change not. God's nature never changes. However, my ways are beyond your ways. My ways are beyond finding out. So when God works, he works in ways that are very unusual, very different. Um, so as we jump into this story today, I want to take you on a journey through three scriptures in the book of Revelation. They're going to illustrate a point uh, about God that I think you're going to really find interesting. The first one is Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, and Jesus says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega. If we didn't go any further, we could just start right there. God is the I am. That's the God who revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, I am. It's Jesus who said in the Gospels, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. But we keep going, and then it goes, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. That's the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. God is saying there, Jesus is saying to us in that moment, he said, I am everything from A to Z. I am everything. I am complete without anything missing. It says, who says, who who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. So he identifies himself there, if we could put that in the Hebrew word, is the El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai. I am the all-powerful one. I am the the Alpha, the Omega. Okay, Revelation 22, 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega. There he says it again, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. All right, Revelation chapter 21, verses 6 and 7. I'm fat, I can speak faster than they can move slides. All right, Revelation chapter 21 and verse 6. Look to what it says here. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I give the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. So these are just three of the five scriptures where he refers to himself in Revelation as the Alpha and the Omega. But now let me take you back in the Old Testament, see what God the Father says about himself. Now these won't be on the screen, but I'm going to give them to you. Isaiah 44 and verse 6, I am the first. I am the first. I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. God is pretty clear about who he is. Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 12, I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. Here's a truth I want you to jot down, think about, put in your phone, take a picture of, but it's a good one. It is that God is hidden in plain sight. You see, God is hidden to those who are not seeking him. He's in plain sight. Even the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. So God is hidden in plain sight. God is only there to be seen by you when you seek for him with your whole heart, when you long for him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. He is not far from you. He is near to you, and he wants to be revealed uh, to you and through you and in you. But there's a principle, Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 2. It is that God likes to hide things. He likes to hide things because he loves it when his children seeks out those things that he has hidden. Proverbs 25, verse 2, it is the glory of God. Look at this. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. God says, you want to know what my glory is? It's when I hide something. I conceal it. I conceal it. But it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. You see, God sees you as a king and priest in his kingdom. That's what Revelation 1 says. He calls you a king and a priest. 
Think of that. See, God sees you in a way that you don't even see yourself. You feel like a peasant, but God sees you as a king. Isn't that good news? He says, so what happens is it's your glory when you seek out the things that I conceal. I won't leave everything on the surface for you to find. What I want you to do is I want you to diligently seek me, long for me, and find me. And when you find me, I'm going to open up such uh, avenues of revelation that you're going to absolutely be blown away. Amen? All right, let's take a look. I'm going to give you a little lesson in Hebrew today. Everybody ready for a little lesson in Hebrew? Well, not all of you. How many of you are really ready for a little lesson in Hebrew today? Hey, I'm going to give it to you anyway. You might as well be excited about it. Amen? Okay. Let's look at this slide. And what I'm going to show you is, this is Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. So now Hebrew, English reads left to right, but Hebrew reads right to left. So we're going to start over here on the right, and you'll notice that this is what's called an interlinear. That is, we have the Hebrew, and then we have an English translation of the words along the way. You'll notice the order is a little bit different, maybe, than you read in your Bible, and some of the order is corrected, or not corrected, but actually uh, changed so that you can read it in your language. So if we go over here to the right, it starts with, in the beginning, created God. Okay, so we would read it, in the beginning, God created, Right? So you notice that it says, beginning created God, the heavens, and the earth. But I've boxed two little letters there that I want to call to your attention today. You'll notice right below, they're not translated. So you don't find these translated in your English Bible. But those two letters are there, and they're extremely significant. So if we write those two letters, um, we'd write them like this. Okay, and those letters, the Aleph and the Tav, they have a lot of meaning. And they're really, really powerful and important when you begin to study Scripture. So Hebrew, in the, in the Hebrew, this word is, or this phrase is hidden, but it's revealed to us as we begin to understand. Remember, we read uh, from the right to the left. So this is the word first, and this is the word last. Can you already see this is going to get good? So he says here, if we could read it that way, we'd read it like this. Beginning God, the first and the last, the heaven created the heavens and the earth. God is saying literally that I am more than you think I am. I am the first and the last. He was revealing something about who he is just in that little bitty uh, phrase, that little bitty word right there. So we also understand that not only is this the last and the first, but this also means strength, and this means covenant. So now let's look at this a little bit deeper. God says, I created, God created, I am a, the first and the last, I am the strong covenant-keeping God. So he reveals himself to us there as a covenant-keeping God who is strong, who is the first and the last. He's giving us a revelation of Jesus Christ right there. He's showing us something about it. Now let's look at the word Elohim. This is a word for God, Elohim. What makes it interesting is that it's a plural noun in the Hebrew, but its context is always put in the singular. So it's telling you something about God. There's something about God that's more than singular, but he is one being. So this one being, Elohim, would later be revealed to us as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
In fact, in that very first chapter, it gives us a little bit more revelation because God said, let us make man in our image. And you have to ask the question, who's the us? The us is the three persons in the one being, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this is revelation that is coming. Now what's really, as you begin to study the Aleph and the Tav, becomes interesting. Remember there were two brothers named Jacob and Esau. Remember those guys? So Esau was the firstborn, so he got the birthright from the father. He had, was, was entitled to all of that, but he didn't care about spiritual things. What he cared about was just what the, the immediate need in his life. Kind of reminds me of people today. More concerned about the immediate than about the long term. And so he came in from hunting one day, and he was hungry, and Jacob was cooking up some stew. And he said, I'm starving to death. Great exaggeration all men are experts at. I am starving to death. Give me some of that red stuff. And so he ate, he said, I won't give it to you unless you give me your, or sell me your birthright. In other words, he said, give me all the spiritual blessings that are entitled to you, and I will give you some soup. And Esau, because he didn't care about spiritual things, he agreed to that, and then Hebrews tells us that later, though he sought with tears to get his birthright back, he could not get it back. Now watch what I'm going to how this Aleph and Tav are significant. Every time that you see Jacob and Esau mentioned in scripture up until one point this is by their names. The Aleph and the Tav. God is reminding Jacob, I am the God who is a covenant keeping God. I am strong and I am the first and the last. But something shifts in Genesis chapter 21. What shifts in chapter 21 is when Esau sells his birthright and God keeps the Aleph and the Tav in front of Jacob's name but removes it from Esau. God took his presence out of Esau's life because he did not long for the spiritual things of the kingdom because he wanted the immediate versus the long term. So that extra letter that we find there, that Aleph and the Tav in there, they're there for a reason. It's a revelation of God's salvation plan, hidden in plain sight in the first line of the Bible, scattered throughout Scripture. The hidden word is like a neon light that's flashing in the Hebrew, but it's like the switch is turned off in the English. Now, you might ask yourself, well, why not translate that? Because technically it's not a word, and for the Hebrew reader, he would read it or she would read it and just understand that that's there. But they wouldn't necessarily understand that's Jesus without a special revelation of God, of the Spirit of God. So they would read along and they'd just say, oh, yeah, that's there. Yeah, and they'll see that all through Scripture. So when we begin to, to kind of delve into the things of God, what we find is that not only God is hidden in plain sight, but God hides things in order to reveal things. Have you ever wondered why some people know some things about Scripture you don't know? I mean, have you ever thought about it? I mean, you go, I'm reasonably smart. I read my Bible. Why am I not getting that out of my Bible? Have you ever had those moments? I mean, I've had those moments, right? I'm going, wow, that's, God, you got to give me some more stuff. I want to see that. I want to see more of that. And God always comes back with the same answer. I will reveal to, on the level that you are thirsting and hungering after me. If you just want a surface relationship with me, I will accommodate you, 
But you will never understand the depths of who I am or the nature by which I live out my life in you and through you. And you will find yourself really fasting from God because you're so full with everything that's not God. God says, if you want to be filled with me, you have to hunger for me with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. When God hides things, he hides things in simplicity. Don't get the idea this is complicated. If it relied on this, then the smartest people in the world would figure it out. It relies on this, the heart. It's the heart of God that is yielded to God that understands. That's why the writer of Psalm in Psalm 119 says, You have made me, O Lord, even wiser than all my teachers, for by thy word I was instructed. So even a child who has a pure heart for God is going to see things that an adult can't, even though they've been educated or even read the Bible more, because it all comes back to the heart. So when God hides things, he hides them in simplicity. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 25 says this, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Here's, here's Jesus. He's thanking God. God, I thank you. You are God of heaven and of earth. I thank that you've hidden these things for those people who think they're too smart. That's really what it says. You're too sophisticated. You're too smart. See, we give evidence of that when we hear a scripture that we know by heart, and we go, yeah, I know that scripture. Do you realize that every scripture is living and active? And every time you read that scripture, it's an opportunity for the Spirit of God to bring new life to it in your situation. You never master a scripture. You never master a verse. You never master the Bible. The goal is for the, is for the Bible to master you, amen? It's for it to pour into you the life. It's also, we see that it's, it's, it's hidden in expectancy. Don't you love anticipating something like Christmas, a Christmas gift? How many of you like Christmas gifts? I like, some of you wouldn't raise your hand for anything. You know what's going to be really cool? It's got to say, yeah, the rapture's coming, but only those who will lift their hands get to go. Some of you are going, how come I didn't make it? I would not raise my hand for anything. Okay, let's try it again. How many of you love the expectancy of getting a gift? All right, good. Some of you now. And now you're, you're feeling better about it. What is it about anticipating something? Do you know that God always writes Scripture with the idea of expectancy woven into the pages? Let me show you this in Matthew 13, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like, what's it like? It's like a treasure hidden in a field. Now, let's just imagine that you found a piece of land here in Orange County, and let's say that it was actually reasonably priced, which would be impossible. All right, but let's just, uh, let's just, uh, let's just make it a, a, a number we can all kind of relate to here, all right? So we're going to buy this piece of land, and they're going to sell it to us for $10,000, okay? It's only one square inch, but it's, it's there. So they're going to sell you this land, but you go out to look at the land, and as you go around looking at the land, you're, you, you all of a sudden you notice something. You, what, what is that? And you find a pure vein of gold that runs straight down inside your property, and what do you do? You don't tell anybody, right? You don't bring it to the prayer wall. No. You kick some dirt over the vein of gold, and you go out and you say to the guy, I'd like to buy your land. Well, what are you going to do with it? It's only one square inch of property. I know, but I've got big vision. We're going to go straight up.
But you realize you don't even have that money to buy it. So now you start calling all your relatives, not like you've not done that before. Call all your relatives and go, hey, can I borrow some money? I've got this piece of land. Well, tell me about it. It's one square inch, and there's long pause. Don't, just trust me in this. Just let me borrow the money. And every person you find, you, you don't stop until you get all the money for that piece of land. Because what have you found in the land? Gold. Let's say it together. Gold. You found a treasure in the field. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven, look what it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field, which a man found and he hid. That's kicking the dirt over it. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the land. The Bible says this, when you come to the place, do you realize the kingdom of heaven is worth more than all that you have, then you understand the kingdom. When anything else becomes a priority above that, you don't understand the kingdom. Because you see, if I can just get in the kingdom, understand the kingdom, then he adds all things unto that, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what's the following? And all these things shall be what? Added onto you. So he says, this is first priority. You seek that first. And I'll take care of you along the way, but you have to seek that first, because guess what? When you seek that first, not only do you see blessings in this life, but you see a blessing in eternity that goes all beyond, way beyond what you could ever ask or imagine. I really believe that the love that we have for the kingdom here on earth is going to be translated into responsibility in eternity. Because you're successful here on planet earth doesn't mean you're going to be successful in heaven. God doesn't level the playing field in heaven. Did you know that? Some will have positions of leadership. Some will be have positions of responsibility. That's what Scripture teaches. All the kingdom parables, just read chapter 13 of Matthew. There's seven kingdom parables in there. All of them tell you the same principle. I don't know about you, but I'd hate to think that I spent my life trying to see how little I could give to God of my time and my money, my energy and my gifts, only to get to heaven to find out that I am now a pauper in heaven. I got in, but just by barely getting in. What, what advantage is that? If you live to be 100 years old, that's a great life. Now, put that on a scale and mark it with eternity. What does that look like? I've got my little chart here, and I go, okay, well, I'm born died, and then I've got eternity. I get this. I get this little gap, this dash. That's what life is, is a dash, a dash to see how much I can get for myself. God says, if you will use your dash for the kingdom of God, I'll show you what I can do for you, and it will go so far beyond what you could ever ask or think, beyond what you could ever imagine, that you will be so blessed that you can't even, the windows of heaven are going to be open. I'm going to pour it on you blessings beyond what you could ever imagine, and it's not something that's mechanical. It's not something I'm going to do it so I get. No, I'm doing it because I love Jesus with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength, and I believe whether he blesses me or doesn't bless me, I'm going to love him. I'm going to give unto him. That's what a kingdom heart is. God's revelation is a call to the truly converted. You see, revelation doesn't come because you want it to come. You have to really know God first. That's step one. Do I really, really know God? There's a couple of questions, and I jotted them down just as 
kind of a reminder, I could, I could give you 20 of these, but here's two that really came to my mind. Here's the first one. Why do some professed Christians not care about the revelation of God? That's always baffled me. You know, when, when you share with me uh, some revelation God gave you from Scripture, I get excited because God showed you something I didn't know, and I go, well, tell me more about that. I want to learn because nobody has a corner on the revelation of God. Amen? So when you have something, I go, well, tell me about that. Tell me about that. Tell me about that. And, and I just, and when you teach revelation, when, when people say, yeah, that's, that's cool, but what time's the game? I'm going, I don't understand that. I just don't understand it because I know what it's like to not know God. I was a, a pre-law student and lost as I could be, started reading the Bible. I got so consumed with reading the Bible that I dropped out of law school. I said, this is amazing. I'd never read the Bible. I read the New Testament four times the first month. I couldn't get enough of it. I didn't even know how to pray. I didn't know any Christians. Only prayer I knew was now I lay me down to sleep. I didn't like that one. That's the one you don't wake up. Remember that one? And then I got it mixed up with stick a needle in your eye. I don't know what, you know, all, when you're a kid, you're listening. I don't know what's going on. You know, promise, I don't know. I just knew I wanted God. I knew there was a field there. I said, God, I want that field. I'll give you everything I've got. I'll give up my friends. I'll give up my career. I'll give up everything because I want what you have to give me in that field. Why would I work for anything else? I'm just a squatter. I'm just a peasant. If I'm working for this world and what this world gives me, what have I really, really got when it's all said and done? And that doesn't mean you shouldn't work hard and work with excellence and try to, to be the very best you can in your field and make a, and God loves it when you make money, but he also loves it when you don't. What he really loves is your heart. If he can get your heart, everything else is going to be good in your life. Even when you go through setbacks, difficulties, and challenges, everything will be good because you love God with all your heart. And he will take, you, take care of you through that process. Second question is this. Why does some fall away from the faith? I've been asking myself this question. People have been asking me the whole time. They'll always have someone they can, an example. Well, so-and-so was a really good Christian, quote-unquote, a really good Christian, they came, they were church, they served, they did this, and now they don't believe in God, now they don't read their Bible, now they don't go to church. What, what's the deal with them? And quite honestly, the only, the only answer I have is they never knew God. They never knew God. They're like the parable of the soils. Remember the parable of the soils? There's only one, only 25% of the seed fell on good ground. 75% didn't. One, the enemy came and snatched the seed. Another one, the sun came. Another one didn't have, couldn't get the roots down because it was planted in rocky ground. But it, all of them looked good at first. It looked like it was all going to work, and then it didn't last. That's why the Bible says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. There's a reason for that. Perseverance is a demonstration of the Spirit of God having truly converted you into the kingdom. I don't have any problem answering the question. They never knew God. He said, but they believed. I said, well, James says the devil believes and, sh and trembles. We got Christians who professing to be Christians. They say they believe, but they don't even tremble at the fear of God. Satan's smart enough to know I got to fear God. Humans aren't that smart sometimes. 
Recent study, four out of five Americans identify themselves as Christians. Four out of five. Hey, walk in some place, pick out five people, see if you think they're Christians. I don't think that's good math. Here's another survey. This, uh, this group of self-proclaimed Christians, that is the four out of five, less than half of them are involved in a church on a weekly basis. You know what that means? They go to church on Easter and Christmas, and if something really cool is happening. That's not a demonstration that the kingdom has changed your life. You realize the disciples were people that gave up everything they have and were willing to die for what they believed. Willing to die. And we're just afraid, well, I don't want to open my mouth, you know, get it all started at the office because, you know, then they're going to, you know, you're a you know, you're, you're Bible thumper. You're too holy for me. Hey, you don't have to be weird. This is not a message to go be weird. Right? I know weird Christians, don't you? I know Christians, every time I tell them something, after everything I say, they go, praise the Lord. Now, look, look, I just told you I was sick. You go, praise the Lord. Just got a car wreck. Well, praise the Lord. Come on. Just be real. Be supernaturally natural. There's something inside of you that's so powerful, and he wants to get out. There's been no revelation of God. It's the only conclusion I can come to. When a person doesn't have this heart after God, there's been no revelation of God. I realize some people come into faith in Christ and they never grow. They just stay stuck in infancy. If that's you, I want you to know you can grow beyond that. And you can grow quickly beyond that. You can get out of infancy really fast in the kingdom. It might take a few years to start walking and chewing solid food in the human world, but in the spiritual world, you can, you can move like this, like this. And my only conclusion, there can be, maybe there was never a true conversion. We want a true conversion. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, wrote these words many years ago. He said, the chief danger with the 20th century will be religion, religion without the Holy Spirit. Do you realize if you do not have the Holy Spirit in you, you've never been saved? Do you realize the Bible says that no man can come to the Lord except the Spirit draw him? You, you can't bypass Holy Spirit and be a kingdom person. He went on to say Christianity without Christ. Lifestyle, just lifestyle. Forgiveness without repentance. You see, you can't just keep going back to God, going, forgive me, forgive me. No, I gotta repent. I'm going this way, and God says, repentance means to turn around and go the other way. I gotta go this way for a while. I gotta go this way. Romans 6.1 says, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we who have been baptized into his death not also be baptized into his resurrection? Romans 6.11, so you also must reckon yourself dead unto sin, but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. Demands repentance. First message out of the mouth of John the Baptist, out of Jesus, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He went on to say, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. You know what I love? I love the fact that all of God is in me. And when I acknowledge him, other people can see the God in me. When I acknowledge him, my life takes on a different nature. 
you know, we're kind of like, remember the bush that, the burning bush with Moses? We're kind of like the bush. It's not that they were that significant. It's what's in the bush is significant. So the, when, when Moses walking along, all of a sudden the bush said, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes for the ground you're standing on is holy, is holy. And all of a sudden he sees this bush and it's on fire. It's on fire. And I say, God, I want to be on fire for God. Amen. How many of you want to be on fire for God? And there's a fire there and people come along and go, what's going on in you? I'm on fire for God. I'm on fire for God. And they go, and they're just bewildered by it. And you go, what is that? I have people all the time go, what is that? They don't even know I'm a Christian. What is that? I go, that's Holy Spirit. I go, what? It's not me. It's him. If you want your life to be about him and not about you, you've probably got to take the commitment level up a notch. Is that okay? Is that fair? Hey, I'm not saying sell all you have, go get a shepherd's bag and, and wander the streets. That ain't what I'm saying. What would happen if you take wherever you are right now and you take it up another 5%? Just 5%. You're, if you're studying the Word of God five minutes a day, what would happen if you'd read it seven minutes a day? If you're praying two minutes a day, what would happen if you read five? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to say, if you just take a little step, you'd be surprised how that's going to manifest itself in your life. Amen? All right, let's stand together. I'm going to ask you to do this while you stand. We're going to sing a song together, but... As you stand right where you are right now, just bow your heads. And I want you to think right now, are you as committed as you want to be? Now, some of you are as committed to Christ as you want to be, but are you as committed? Let me ask some of you. Are you as committed to Christ as you want to be? And if you say no, what would it look like for you to take it to the next level? What would it look like for you to just go up one notch? Would you just say, God, I'll do that? If that's in your heart, just write. When God speaks, just say, God, I'll do that. Just shout it out. Just say it out loud. God, I'll do that. Now, we're not trying to create some kind of a, of a box for you. We're trying to say that when you get God in your box and he, he gets full, he breaks the box down. The lid comes off and Jesus comes into the scene. Amen? Amen. I want, you, I want that for you. Do you want that for you? And when you sing it, just make this a recommitment of your life. God, that's what I want. I'm going to the next level. I'm going to the next level. Let's sing together. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's like the worst singing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but you know what? That's, that's pitiful. Turn the lights on. we got to see who's guilty. All right, now look. When we do the last song, it's not for you to meditate. It's for you to sing and proclaim, all right? So I'm going to be... Are you ready? Okay.
Amen. Amen. All right, let's have those lights again. I thought you were going to keep them on so I could see who wasn't singing, but... All right. Well, I have some very good news to tell you, and that is... It's not final yet, but there's an expectancy that the Ketter is going to be moving to Anaheim Hills. And they're so excited uh, about being here, and we just really feel God's hand on it. And uh, I know some of you might want to have a part in helping that take place. So here's what I'm going to do. One of our board members, George Haynes, right here on the front. George, raise your hand. If you, if you want to say, hey, I want to find out how I can help them, whether that's moving financially, you know, whatever it is, praying for them or whatever, come see George. George will get your name, tell you about it, what we're thinking, and uh, we can help minister and bring this whole family uh, here close at hand. And uh, we just love our team. Thank you, worship team. It was so great today. Amen. So we want you to have a great day. Here's a couple things you can do. When you go out the doors there, there's two things I want you to see. One is the prayer wall, and the second one is Link Central. At Link Central, you can find out about being connected to a group. You can find out about Link classes and uh, just be to kind of take in everything God's doing. Amen? Amen? All right. Guys, let's just pray as we go. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the revelation you gave people today. Just the nudge to get even closer to you, God, is so valuable. And then when we actually take those steps, God, it's so powerful. So I pray, God, for just the filling of the Spirit, an anointing to read the Word of God, and it becomes alive in every person's heart, that we love you more and more, Jesus, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.